1: your
0: championship listen to this crowd
1: Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond
0: here's Grant McCauley Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, fresh back from the West Coast and San Diego where the baseball winter meetings took place this past week. There were an awful lot of things going on there. Plenty of moving and shaking, some record contracts and more than our fair share of rumors as well. We're going to jump into a lot of that on the show as Bill Rowland joins me in just a little while and we go through the biggest stories from this past week and signs up what exactly we learned from the winter meetings this time around. As always, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast. You can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews, always appreciated. Keep those coming if you'd be so kind. And be sure to follow along on social media. You can find the show on Twitter at from the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can also find Bill Rowland on Twitter at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. And on Instagram, at FromTheDiamond, no underscores where you can find it. And I am still at Grant McCauley there as well. And you can catch up on a lot of the rumors and speculation surrounding the Braves and, of course, the rest of Major League Baseball at FromTheDiamond.com. I did daily blogs while I was out there, so be sure to check those out. Again, FromTheDiamond.com. You can find every episode of the show and so much more right there. Let's jump into the week that was for Atlanta Braves news before we widen our focus and look at the rest of Major League Baseball. Had a fun time out in San Diego at the winter meetings, even though the Braves weren't really the big story there. uh, There's a lot of talks that happen between clubs and between general managers that oftentimes can lead to deals down the road. That was more or less the takeaway I got from Alex Anthopoulos the more we got to speak to him. You can't really make up news where there is none. Well, I, I guess you can. That's kind of where the rumors and speculation comes from. But as far as talking to the Braves general manager, who's already been quite busy this winter, there wasn't really much to report on the Braves front from the winter meetings, plus or minus a couple minor league signings we'll get into in a moment. Uh, the question for everyone, and Braves fans in particular, seems to be what's going to happen with Josh Donaldson and third base for Atlanta. That answer is still forthcoming. We don't know just yet. and We just had a week's worth of rumors in San Diego, so let's go through some of those. The Texas Rangers were among the many clubs that missed out on Anthony Rendon, as he signed with the Los Angeles Angels, a seven-year contract worth just south of $250 million. Well, not only did they miss out on Rendon, but reportedly Josh Donaldson's asking price has been out of the range that the Rangers feel comfortable with, so it appears that one of the suitors may have dropped out of the race for Donaldson's services. Now, Atlanta would love to have Josh Donaldson back at third base and in the cleanup spot of their order, but a four-year contract may be beyond their comfort level And they may not be the only club, especially in the National League, that feels that way. American League clubs can offer it with a DH in place so that as Donaldson gets a little bit older, there may be nights where he could just do some hitting and not be counted upon as the everyday third baseman. That's just not the case in the National League, at least unless or until the designated hitter is added in both leagues. But it may come down to getting that fourth guaranteed year to get a deal done with Josh Donaldson. Given that Rendon is now off the market, there is not a better third base option as far as free agents are concerned than Donaldson, who just turned 34 and a four-year deal would take him through his age 37 season. There were a lot of rumors about Donaldson throughout the week, but nothing to report as far as anything coming close or any big time offers being exchanged. But there was at least one report that Donaldson would prefer to come back to Atlanta, all things being equal. But we don't know what the offers are going to be, and we don't know if the Braves are going to be able to come up with the offer that would win his services and how long that contract would end up being. Now, Chris Bryant was a very popular name, and you can read more about that over at FromTheDiamond.com. I laid out the trade possibilities there, went into a lot more detail than I'll get into here. But if the Cubs decide to move their superstar third baseman slash left fielder, that would be a big splash move for the Braves or any other club Looking to fill their vacancy at the hot corner or simply make their lineup better. The Nationals are rumored to be interested in Donaldson, reportedly not inclined to trade for Chris Bryant if that price tag is going to cost them Victor Robles, their slick fielding center fielder, who was a big part of their 2019 World Series winning club. The big question for Bryant, of course, is whether or not you get him for one year or two. He has a service time grievance that goes way back to his rookie year when he was left down in the minors for a couple of weeks in order to hopefully gain an extra year. At least that was the plan for the Cubs at the time. But Scott Boris, who is Chris Bryant's agent, filed a grievance for his client that will determine whether or not he is under team control for one year or two. And until then, that may keep him in Chicago. There was also some talk about Nolan Arenado being available in trade. This I found to be pretty fascinating. The Rockies third baseman is a seven-time gold glover, three of those platinum gloves, so he upgraded a few years, certainly hits well at home, has been really a great all-around player throughout his career, and just signed an eight-year extension with the Rockies this spring. Reportedly, though, the club is going to listen to trade offers for their franchise third baseman. He's due well over $200 million in a deal that runs through 2028, but Arenado can opt out after 2021. So both of these things are going to be factors for a club being interested in bringing Arenado on because his contract could be large if he decides not to opt out, or you may not have him for as long as you'd like to if he decides to opt out after 2021. So much like Bryant, it may be a short-term solution if you get Arenado, despite the fact that he's got a big money extension that he just signed with the Rockies this past spring. I would link the Dodgers as the closest thing to a natural fit for Arenado, who is a Southern California guy. He also has a full no-trade clause, so that could throw a wrench in any of a number of things that the Rockies would be trying to do, uh, depending on where Arenado could be shipped and whether or not he will waive that no-trade protection and let a deal come to pass. So those were some of the biggest rumors that surrounded the Braves and of course the middle of the lineup where there is a vacancy behind Freddie Freeman and that's something the Braves really want to get done before spring training. It's also something that Alex Anthopoulos said we're not sure what we're going to do there or if we'll be able to get something done. So I did ask him about Austin Riley, Johan Camargo, what the expectations are and they're still high on both of those guys but neither of those guys are Josh Donaldson so it may not be a natural solution to Who exactly is your cleanup hitter come opening day? But the Braves have plenty of time, a lot of shopping days left, not just for the holidays, but also prior to the club reporting to spring training in mid-February. There was one more piece of Braves business announced on Friday night, and that was a minor league signing that might have some major league implications. Charlie Culberson has re-signed with Atlanta. The club announced a minor league deal with an invitation to spring training. He was non-tendered earlier this month. This should make those Braves fans happy to know that Culberson will be back and have a chance to make the big league club as there will be a 26 roster spot this year. That's something important to keep in mind. We don't yet know how the Braves or any other club is going to look at that spot and what kind of decisions they'll make about what kind of player might be the best for it. But given Charlie Culberson's versatility, that's nothing but a good thing. And I think we're all happy to see this news with Culberson re-signing with the Braves on a minor league deal. Alex Antopoulos also told us the club has re-signed outfielder Rafael Ortega. That's a minor league deal. I would assume an invitation to major league spring training is also included in that deal as Ortega was hanging around with the Braves big league club for most of the second half last year. So that's what's going on with the Atlanta Braves, one of the busiest clubs heading into the winter meetings, but not the busiest club at the winter meetings. Well, let's turn our attention to what else is happening across the world of baseball because goodness knows it's a busy week. We've seen it as headlines have been made. Big record contracts have been handed out and the winter meetings just wrapped up in San Diego. That was where business was getting done this week. I had the chance to get out there and talk with Braves General Manager Alex Anthopoulos each day, also Braves Manager Brian Snitker, and just keep tabs on what Atlanta might be doing. Not really much came to fruition on the Braves front as far as the winter meetings are concerned That, though, was not the case across the rest of baseball as we saw record contracts being handed out as Scott Boris was a very, very busy man. And a busy man who joins us right now is Bill Rowland as we jump in to talk about what else has happened across Major League Baseball as we do each and every week. And, Bill, I think we expected there to be some highlights from the winter meetings, but these were a little bit busier than the last couple of years, I'd say.
1: Yeah, after a, a bit of a dry spell the last couple of years, certainly money was flowing, players were moving, and uh, a lot of things got done. And uh, I'm jealous you got to go out there to San Diego and, and spend some time in the nice weather and, and all that good stuff back here on the East Coast. It wasn't the greatest of weather, but uh, boy, you got to see a lot of, uh, of high-priced and uh, high-dollar free agents getting moved around out there.
0: Yeah, when we talk about getting the chance to just have the whole baseball world together and the winter meetings being historically a time where some deals get done, we got to see a lot of that over the few days there. Also got to get a few touristy things in as well. So it was kind of a great mix of the two things. But uh, here on the show, of course, we're going to focus on the baseball aspect of it. So let's jump into our starting nine and talk about what was the first of the record contracts being handed out at the meetings. And it went to Steven Strasburg, a seven-year, $245 million contract I don't think either of us are surprised, Bill, to see him return to the Washington Nationals, but what does the return of Strasburg mean for the Nats fresh off their World Series win?
1: Uh, Basically, yeah, no surprise that Strasburg is back. It means that, as we've seen in the past, General Manager Mike Rizzo chooses pitching over offense. Last year, they let Bryce Harper walk. They end up signing Patrick Corbin. Five years ago, Max Scherzer got the big payday. Rizzo has always valued starting pitcher over the big bat, And after winning the World Series last year, you can't really argue with him. He was right. Their pitching is what won them the World Series. So now, with Strasburg back in the fold, he, Scherzer, Corbin, Annabelle Sanchez, pretty solid top four starters. They'll find a serviceable fifth guy. Joe Ross, a couple of the other young guys will be in the mix for that. Their lineup, though, is the thing that still will have Nats fans concerned, especially after losing Anthony Rendon.
0: Now, out of curiosity, because I know that we like to talk about this quite a bit, and it's a big part of any player's resume, but what Steven Strasburg was able to do in October, how much of a factor do you think it was in terms of deciding where the Nationals were going to spend their money this winter with both he hitting free agency and, of course, Anthony Rendon as well?
1: Well, I mean, we saw the reports, and I think you and I talked about it last week, that they weren't going to be able to sign both. So I don't think it's a big surprise that they went towards Strasburg and not toward Rendon because they've always valued that pitching. I also think it was going to be easier. Uh, Again, Strasburg is a creature of habit, as a lot of starting pitchers are, as they want their routine to be the same. They don't like change. They want things the way they want things. And being in Washington for his entire career, I think it was going to be easier. Not that he wasn't willing to go somewhere else, but if the years and money were about the same, He was going to be more comfortable staying in Washington. Rendon, you didn't get that kind of thing from him. He's a guy that just kind of rolls out of bed and hits the baseball. I don't think he cares where it's going to be or anything like that. He just wants to be able to hit. Doesn't like the limelight. Doesn't like any of that stuff. So I think it made sense that it was Strasburg over Rendon.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things that, like you said, I have been surprised to see two contracts of basically $250 million or more being handed out. And that's right around what both guys got. In fact, they got the same deal. We'll talk about Rendon a little bit more in a moment, but uh, just looking at Strasburg, who was, of course, the World Series MVP, I think by the time he went about the business of winning that, really, to me, the only question mark I had about where he might end up, it wasn't Yankee pinstripes, but I thought maybe San Diego, being as that's where he's from, might be that dark horse that comes in and says, hey, we spent big on Manny Machado. Now we're going to go get the starting pitcher that goes with it, but in the end, Washington, as you mentioned, ponied up, and Steven Strasburg will be a national for seven more years.
1: Now, it was a big contract, but not the biggest anymore because about 48 hours later, Scott Boris back at it. Garrett Cole, who we talked about last week, Grant, being the big prize in free agency, goes to, of course, the big behemoth in the New York Yankees. Nine years, $324 million dollars is he now the missing piece that gets the yankees back to the world series
0: i think if he's not the missing piece i don't know who is because the one question mark the yankees seemed to have throughout the year last year and it was a year in which they had to answer a lot of questions with their offensive side of things or really just the injury question marks that surrounded that club and it did not stop them from getting back into october but once they got there it just seemed like they didn't have the big starting pitcher that monster right in the front of that rotation that could really take them to the next level now some of that of course was injury related some of it was performance related and just not having the personnel on hand but this has been a search for the Yankees as far as getting Garrett Cole to the Bronx has gone on since 2008 when they drafted him in the first round and he chose instead to go off to college and of course ended up going much higher a few years later to the Pittsburgh Pirates This long road ended up taking him not only to Pittsburgh, but also to Houston. And looking at what he did last year, leading the AL and ERA, winning his 20 games, and, of course, striking out 326 batters just in the regular season and then cranking it up again in the postseason, this is exactly the kind of big move that the Yankees have historically been known for. But we hadn't really seen in the younger Steinbrenner era build this kind of move. So I think it says a lot about where the Yankees feel like they are for obvious reasons based on talent. But also where they were not able to get, because this past decade the Yankees won the most games in all of baseball and did not make it to the World Series, which had not happened in about a century.
1: Yeah, and there's 29 other teams around Major League Baseball not crying for the Yankees about not right. making the World Series in a decade. But yeah, Cole, Paxton, Severino, Tanaka, that four right there should be good enough once again to win them the division. Um, they basically took away the best pitcher from the team that's kind of been blocking them the last few years in the Houston Astros. That's why they're now 3-1 to favorites to win the World Series. And you can't argue with that because, like you said, they win every year. They just haven't had the ability to get all the way through. Short series, weird things happen. With them signing Garrett Cole is going to help them keep those weird things from happening because you're going to have to beat him twice and then maybe even three times in a yeah. seven-game series. That's going to be a tall order for just about anybody in the American League.
0: And I think we saw in this World Series, particularly with Washington, but of course the Astros weren't you know really slouches either with the kind of starting pitchers they were running out. This has seemed to turn a little bit from Bullpen, bullpen, bullpen to if we do have these great starters, we'll be able to lean on them and then we'll figure things out in the bullpen, particularly for Washington, which was not really marching out the best bullpen in baseball. In fact, statistically, they were the worst bullpen in baseball, if not all season, but for much of it, and were able to overcome it thanks to the strength of starting pitching. I don't think the Yankees want to go to that extreme, but Garrett Cole at $324 million, they're going to be paying him just over, I think, if he stays healthy about a million dollars per start, and that's yeah. a pretty high price to pay, but if you end up winning a couple World Series over the next decade, I think that's going to go ahead and pay for itself.
1: Yeah, I think they'd be pretty happy if they got that return of, a, of one or two or even three World Series while Cole is with them. It's certainly, again, record-breaking contract, but if they win titles, like you said, definitely worth it.
0: Well, let's talk about another record-breaking contract, or at least a very big contract, and that would be the Scott Boris shows continuing and the breaking of yet another uh, story as far as the big contracts are concerned. And this time, it was Anthony Rendon, the Nationals' third baseman, going to head out to Los Angeles and join Mike Trout and the Angels, which is a surprise, I think, to a lot of folks. Owner Artie Moreno is no stranger to spending money. He's done a lot of that over the recent years. Uh, but are the Angels finally ready to take that next big step with the signing of Rendon?
1: You know, Grant, here's my problem with the Angels, and it's not about spending the money. They spend, as you pointed out, with you know, Albert Pujols, Mike Trout, they've spent the money... I personally was never a fan of the Pujols contract because I thought he was beyond what his value would be, but I'm not sure that this makes them suddenly contenders either. The Astros are still really good. They upgraded their offense. They upgraded their defense with Rendon and now Simmons on the left side of the infield, but their pitching is still quite suspect. 29th last year in ERA, they traded for Dylan Bundy, but Really, that's more of a reclamation project yeah. than a guy you plug in and say, okay, here's our number two or number three starter. They don't know what they're going to get from Otani, who's going to go back to the mound this year. To me, this is nice, but they still have work to do, and maybe a couple of these free agent pitchers that are still out there end up with the Angels, but all they've done is maybe add a few more wins. Maybe they stick around the wild card conversation, but they are no threat in my mind to the Astros in the AL West.
0: Well, I look at it a couple of different ways. And number one, spending the money is something that fans always point to, and rightfully so, about how committed an owner is. And I don't think you can question how committed Artie Moreno is to spending that money, but he hasn't necessarily spent it in the best spots because you'll recall, not only did Pujols get that big-time contract of, what, $240 million, but Josh Hamilton was also signed that same year. That did not work out in Los Angeles whatsoever. Pujols, meanwhile... I was kind of along the lines of thinking he's got three or four big seasons left in him and then maybe his decline's going to start but instead it seemed like he had maybe two good seasons in him and then all of a sudden some injuries and uh, just father time I guess really started to catch up with Albert Pujols and he's just not the same player that he was in St. Louis and there's really no two ways about that and they've still got a couple of more years to pay him some of that big time money but I think if you've got Mike Trout in the prime of his career right now and you commit the $400-plus plus million to signing him, keeping him around, you've got to build yourself a contending team around a guy that we may look back on, Bill, in 20, 30, 40 years as being the best player we've ever seen play the game. And that's a pretty short list when you start looking at baseball history. And Mike Trout's one of those guys. I think you've got to figure out a way to win. And for Moreno, spending money is one big part of it. But as you mentioned, They're going to have to make the right personnel moves, and that pitching staff leaves an awful lot to be desired.
1: Yeah, to me, they still need two more starting pitchers. They still need bullpen help. Again, the offense will be better. It was mediocre, middle of the pack. I guess you'd say average last year, and Rendon certainly helps with that. Third base was an absolute black hole for them offensively. But unless they think they can win in the playoffs by outscoring teams and winning games 10 to 8, which didn't happen very often, I just think that this is maybe an 80 to 85 win team, which, okay, again, maybe you sniff the wild card in the American League, but are the Yankees going to be afraid of going up against their starting rotation at this point the way it is? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I think that the Angels have a long way to go. There are a couple of more free agents out there that we can certainly talk about as we continue on. And go through some of these other names but without that pitching as you mentioned it's going to be hard for the angels to make it just out of the american league west let alone deep into october but putting rendon and simmons on one side of the infield makes it feel like to me that it might be time to get some ground ball pitchers out there in anaheim put those guys to work and uh, let mr rendon earn his money with the glove which i'm sure he's capable of doing
1: yeah that's a great point all right so we talked about the three big signings here grant let's move on Other teams that made the best moves, not necessarily the splashy moves, but the best moves in your mind during the winter meetings.
0: I'll tell you one of the most interesting moves, and it's right inside the division, and it's a guy that was, I think, rumored to maybe go back to the Bronx, or then again, maybe they don't have a place for him at all. But the Philadelphia Phillies found a place on a one-year deal for D.D. Gregorius, who's a guy that I think will be an upgrade, at least if he's their starting shortstop, which he very well could be. You move Gene Segura to second base, that would make a ton of sense. They've still got to figure out what they want to do on the left side with the Michael Franco era being over. But I love bringing in Gregorius because he's a guy that knows how to win. Of course, Joe Girardi is very familiar with him, so he won't mind having Didi in the fray there. But that's a move that I really liked. And seeing Blake trying get that one-year deal with the LA Dodgers, I think if any place was going to resuscitate him and get him right back on track to where he was in 2018, he picked a pretty good team to get back on track. There are, of course, some question marks still out there for a lot of other clubs, Bill, because there's some big-time free agents still looking for work. The top names are off the board now, the Coles, the Strasburgs, the Rendons, but where do you see some of these other players ending up? In particular, Madison Bumgarner and Josh Donaldson, I think, remain hot commodities with a lot of clubs looking for their services.
1: I think Donaldson ends up going to whichever team is willing to give him a four-year deal. Uh, we've talked about it. Everybody has talked about it out there. The Nats and Braves, now that Rendon has signed, are the teams that are going to be battling for his services. Texas apparently is out from what I read the last couple of days that they're not willing to go to that fourth year, so they're not going to be in the mix for him anymore. I think the deal has to be right for both sides. From what I've read, and, and you would know this better than me, it seems like Donaldson would like to stay in Atlanta if they'll give him the fourth year. If the Nationals are willing to go four and Atlanta isn't, I think he ends up in Washington. As far as Bumgarner, I think him to the Dodgers or the Angels just makes the most sense uh, for it not to happen either team out there in L.A. could use him. Obviously, we talked about the Angels already. They need him more than the Dodgers do. Um, Dallas Keuchel, another name. I think he's going to be able to talk to any of those teams on the West Coast. The Dodgers, the Padres, the Angels. Seems like West Coast to me for him, but I think definitely the Dodgers are going to be in on one of these pitchers. It's just going to be weird, right? To see Bumgarner in Dodger blue after he's been a Giant all these years. That just it doesn't make sense to me as far as seeing him in that jersey, but it Makes sense from a baseball side of things
0: yeah it really does and I think at the end of the day for teams and players looking to make deals and obviously win championships you'll figure out a lot of things as far as the wardrobe is concerned over the course of a career but I think you hit on something that a lot of folks have been pointing at and saying well now that you've spent the money on Rendon doesn't it make sense to go get the pitching Bumgarner and Keichel or both would be just dynamite gets I think for the Los Angeles Angels in particular Keuchel being more of a ground ball guy Bumgarner being a guy that I think would benefit as well just both of them being left-handed from having that side of the infield that left side of the infield that has Andrelton Simmons a gold glove winner many times over and a very solid glove and Anthony Anthony Rendon over there there's a lot of good things happening in Los Angeles if you start to add those pitchers at least one of them and maybe go out and make a deal at some point soon to figure out what other guys you might be able to add not just through free agency but the spending on Rendon is one thing. Spending on Garrett Cole, as we found out, was another thing. But does that leave, perhaps, Bill, a little bit of room for Artie Moreno to say, "Okay, we didn't make the biggest deal of the winter, but we can go out and make a big deal and perhaps another couple of deals that will make us that much better? Because, again, as we talked about earlier, you got to take that step or the next couple of steps if you want to get out of the American League West, as we found, which Houston's still going to be strong. And Other clubs, including the Athletics, are not going to go away, it doesn't look like, as the season wears on.
1: Yeah, and I think you could also look at a team in the NLS and the Padres that are kind of in that same position after signing uh, Manny Machado last year. They've got some young pitching coming up. They've got some uh, young position players as well, but they are still again, behind the Dodgers out there in the NL West, they need to make a move as well. I think it's going to be an interesting bidding war maybe between the Angels and the Padres for a guy like Baumgartner or a guy like Dallas Keuchel because both of those teams could use not one of those guys. But as you said, why not go and get both starting pitching you know, guys taken care of and then you can perhaps make a run. If the Angels did that, I'm more inclined to think that they'd have at least an outside shot at winning a series or two in the playoffs, you know, maybe winning the wild card game and taking 3 out of 5 in the next round, but if they don't get any more pitching, I think they're dead in the water right now.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with that whatsoever and the money has been spent, but it may take a little bit more money to get the Angels over the top and maybe at some point they start building a few pieces from within and and being able to elevate some of those guys, but they got Otani for a great deal. Now, he hasn't been that two-way star just yet, but he can certainly hit a ton. They went out and got a very experienced manager that they're very familiar with in Joe Madden to lead this thing. I don't think the Angels go out and get Madden, and go out and sign Rendon and say, okay, our winner's done. We're just going to hang out here for a couple of years and see if something happens. There's a sense of urgency, I think, out there to start getting things done because, oh, by the way, Artie Moreno, who locked down Mike Trout for over $400 million, He just bought his own stadium as well. So he's been spending some money, and I don't think he's going to stop anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I think you're right on that. All right, off the field news here from the winter meetings. Commissioner Rob Manfred made news, ruffled some feathers, as well as the ongoing debate between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball continues Manfred revealed the plan to eliminate 42 clubs and realign the minor leagues was leaked by affiliate owners and caused the divide between the two sides. Talks continue, but this is a mess that only got messier last night as basically Major League Baseball came out and said, if you don't like the deal, well, we'll just get rid of all of you and do it ourselves. This thing is not getting any better.
0: No it doesn't seem like it is and just hearing from Rob Manfred as I was there when he did his press conference uh, it was very strange very foreign when you start thinking about why would there be a divide between the clubs that obviously run the whole thing when you get to the major leagues it doesn't get any bigger that's the big business of baseball but the importance of minor league baseball in so many different avenues in terms of yeah you develop all your players there but for a lot of folks that don't have a major league baseball city in their town or anywhere close minor league baseball plays a pretty important role in the ongoing growth and development of the game including young and prospective fans and perhaps some kids will end up playing major league baseball or working in it one day that i think is where the true love of the game really lives for a lot of fans so I think this took a lot of people aback when you started hearing about, okay, well, we're going to get rid of 40-plus clubs. And I think for the minor league owners, from what it sounds like to me is that this started coming out on the table and they started realizing that it's quite possible that some of these clubs may go away. And that led the information to coming out in an attempt to more or less save perhaps some of these affiliates, especially if you're one of the owners who was on the chopping block. So I understand it, but for Manfred, describing the whole thing as a tale of two cities was really telling to me because that really sets up a bigger divide than i thought was existing prior to hearing those comments and of course then seeing minor league baseball's response to that uh, which makes me feel like this is something that's going to go on for a while Uh, bill i don't think it's feasible that major league baseball could blow the whole thing up and start over from scratch i don't think that's going to happen but There are two sides here that are going to throw, I think, a few haymakers at one another before they figure out if they're going to be able to come together and get a deal done. Uh, Some of the things that they're talking about are certainly important, whether it be playing conditions or travel or pay for minor leaguers, which is a drum that I, among many people, have been beating for a while about just giving guys at least more of a living wage to get through the season. There's a lot of questions to be answered here, and I don't think it's going to be in the best interest of either side to beat on each other publicly for too long before figuring out, okay, we got to put our differences aside and make a deal happen because there is a business of baseball that's going to go on and it's going to be starting again in just a few months. So I'm interested to see if this whole thing is even figured out by the time we get into the 2020 baseball season.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know that it will be. It's interesting, like you said, Major League Baseball coming out and saying that the minor league teams have refused to address the inadequate facilities, that major league owners subsidized too much of the cost of minor league operations, and that they now claim, Major League Baseball says, oh, independent leagues could fill the void left in towns where minor league teams leave. That is not going to happen. You've seen it time and time again, Grant. We know if a team leaves – You have another one maybe try to come in. It's hot for a year or two, and then it dies off. And it just doesn't happen that when a team leaves, especially a minor league team that has a history and tradition, and some of these teams go back to the early 1900s and have a long time standing in the cities and, and small towns that they're in. But if they go away, nothing ever seems to be able to come back and replace it. Look, I'm with you. These kids need to get paid a better wage than they do. Major League Baseball coming out and saying, hey, if you don't like the way that it's going on, we'll do it ourselves. Honestly, that sounds like a great idea, except I don't trust Major League Baseball to be able to do that. I don't trust that they'd be able to run a good minor league system. Um, That's the problem that I have is that the ideas maybe that the Major League Baseball – brain trust have as far as, hey, we'll take it over, we'll do it ourselves. To me, that's great because then if your single-A you know, shortstop is an actual member of your organization and not just an affiliate of your single-A team, maybe you can get a little bit more done as far as the salary goes and health benefits and that kind of stuff. But I just don't trust Major League Baseball to do it properly.
0: Well, see, I don't think that really any of that is going to be able to hold water in terms of You know, everybody, they are property of the Major League Baseball Club. I mean, nobody's signing with a minor league team and not having any affiliation with Major League Baseball. But there's been, I think, a lot of the focus, quite honestly, when you look at the uh, Players Union, the CBA, all of those kinds of things, they've kicked the can down the road a lot on the minor league side of things because it doesn't affect the Major League Baseball Players Association. I think that's one aspect that's been in play here. Now, it's obviously not all the Players Association's fault. I don't know how much power they would have to fix some of these issues but it seems like a lot of it has been well major league baseball does have pretty much a lot of autonomy when it comes to how the minor leagues and the affiliated baseball thing is going to work but once you get to the big leagues that's when players have a little bit more clout behind them as they have the strength in numbers of having a union that's just not the case in the minor leagues so it's a really multi-pronged issue that the two of us are not going to solve here sitting here recording a podcast on a single day maybe not even for Uh, an entire year if we kept talking about this on and on and brought in some of the smartest business minds that you've got the two sides are going to have to compromise they're going to have to figure out a way i think to improve some of these facilities which admittedly i have worked in the minor leagues i have seen exactly what they're talking about i get it i understand it Uh, but at some point the two sides are going to to stop looking at each other and they're gonna have to figure out you know, where does this money need to come from? Where does it need to go? How much of it? And come up with a plan. It doesn't all have to be solved in one off season. I don't think it even has to be solved in a year or two. But as long as you start to put the plan in place and implement some of the changes and weigh them out the best that you can to start answering some of the questions that you can, which I think compensation of minor league players is one thing, you know, there's a possibility that they can start to reach that common ground. But it's not going to work. Uh, Very quickly or very efficiently or very easily for either side if they spend more time in the press doing what we saw this past week. It looks very contentious because it is. There's a lot at stake, especially for minor league players and owners. Well, I guess, particularly affiliate owners that might lose their club. So I understand it. I don't guess either one of us is going to have an easy answer for it, but I would love to see the two sides let cooler heads prevail and allow minor league baseball to be what it is, which I think is a great gateway for fans of the game to get up close and personal with these players before they become stars which i think is incredibly invaluable and a great experience and for a lot of folks too uh, think about the atmosphere and how family friendly and affordable minor league baseball is as well some of those things kind of getting cast by the wayside as these two sides are really taking aim at one another
1: Yeah, I mean, they've got to get it done just because you're talking about not only their players that would like to. You're going to lose some guys if you cut 42 teams. Obviously, there's going to have to be guys that have to find a place to play. But you're also, as you said, really spitting in the face of some of the folks that have been around uh, those towns that have supported minor league baseball and By doing so, supporting Major League Baseball for all these years. It's a no-win situation if they end up cutting these teams or they try to take it in-house or whatever it is. They've got to get off the bully pulpit and come to an agreement that makes sense for everybody.
0: I 100% agree with that. We'll see how quickly or efficiently they're able to do that, and hopefully it'll happen sooner than later. Meanwhile, another unfun topic that was discussed by Commissioner Manfred was the probe into the Astros and their sign-stealing scandal that's been going on now, I guess for multiple seasons and it now includes 60 witnesses and over 72,000 emails that directly from commissioner Manfred when he addressed the media on Wednesday, final verdict and sanctions not expected to occur before the new year, a bill though. It sounds like Houston is going to have some major problems when all of this comes to light.
1: Not that major league baseball is looking to the NFL, but you look at how bad the NFL came down on the Patriots for Spygate and yeah. gate and everything, you know, the fines, the draft picks and everything else. Look, Are the Astros the only team in Major League Baseball cheating? No, they're not. Are they the only ones that got caught cheating? No. You think about the Red Sox got in trouble for the Apple Watch thing that they were doing, so they're not the only ones. But their cheating was so brazen and so over the top. And quite frankly, their manager, A.J. Hinch, Trying to make light of it when he was talking about, oh, the Yankees say they heard whistling from our dugout. Well, if we had thought that that was going to distract them, we would have practiced that in spring training. Well, guess what? You have been practicing that, not only in spring training, but all during the regular season. The laptop in the back and the banging of the trash can with the bat is just outrageous and they had to have been doing it quickly again it's so obvious there's a great video and I wish I could remember who put it out there but I'm sure you, you know what the listeners are smart they can find it if they haven't seen it already there's a great video of about two minutes it's an at-bat with Evan Gaddis. they break it down you can see when a fastball is coming there's no sound at all from the Astros dugout As soon as the signals come up that it's going to be a changeup, you can audibly hear, and this isn't them enhancing it, this is just the game video. And you can hear them banging on the bat. Finally, and I forget who they're playing, it might have been the Giants in an early game, but they come out, the catcher and pitcher I think both kind of figured it out. They heard the banging and they came and switched their signals and they threw an off-speed pitch the next time with nothing coming from the Astros' dugout, and Gaddis, I think, ended up striking out because he didn't know it was going to be off-speed because they changed it up. That kind of brazen stuff, they should be completely nailed for this. I don't know if it's fines, draft picks, whatever it may be, but it has certainly not been a good last couple months for Houston losing the World Series, having their executive sound like a jackass when he insulted the reporter, and all of this stuff going on. I mean... I'm really, really fed up with the way they handled this because, look, you get caught cheating. A.J. Hinch, I've lost a lot of respect for him the way he dealt with the questions surrounding this, and now he won't speak to any of it, probably for good reason because they're going to be in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, I think they already are in a lot of trouble, and I think they're well aware of that. I talked to a few folks around baseball, not that work for Major League Baseball that are involved in any of the investigation stuff going on, but just some folks from... Other teams that I had a chance to catch up with and just kind of quickly say, What's your feel for this? Where do you think it's going to go? How do you think they're going to come down on the Astros? And some folks looked at it and said, Look, I mean, they could kind of give them the version of the death penalty where they make it so hard for them to draft and sign players internationally as well for a little while that that makes it hurt. And then there is the possibility that you could go back and say, All right, well, we'll have you vacate your 2017 title. I don't know that that's going to be the case, but then again that's only aesthetics that still doesn't directly address everything that's been going on from a monetary standpoint that i think would really make a dent yeah it would be embarrassing to have that world series taken away from them but i don't think baseball necessarily is as much worried about that as they are with cleaning up this entire act and setting an example that makes sure it will never happen again not retroactive justice for who should have won a title in a particular year and how the astros kind of pushed their way in there and perhaps use this as one of the catalysts to turn their entire franchise around so i'm really fascinated to see how this whole thing works out one person uh told me that he thinks that jeff lunow could end up getting the john Coppolella treatment and be banned from baseball that would certainly send a serious message uh but uh, again that's just one of the many things that could happen when this thing finally comes out there could be i would imagine individual players suspended for going along with it there could be other team executives suspended for going along with it because everybody's looking for that advantage that competitive advantage and sign stealing is as old as baseball is that's not really shocking whatsoever but we have moved into an era where technology is now such a part of the game And I think that, and this is something else that I talked to someone about late in the uh, season or maybe just after the playoffs when this whole Astros thing kind of came to light, we opened up Pandora's box by uh, creating this replay system and putting it and giving access to clubs to have kind of this real-time access to broadcasts. And they've made some changes to how close that is to the dugout and not allowing players to really have that live feed, if you will, but still obviously they've figured out ways to work around it i know when i look down in the dugout and see multiple ipads set up for different things and a lot of that's for scouting a video of pitchers that come in and giving hitters a a quick look but i don't know bill and maybe this is just a ridiculously old school idea but what if we were to not have all of the technology be present during the game for the two teams playing and just have them go out there and play it and it's like studying for a test you know everything that you know and maybe your coaches keep up with some other stuff and you still got some notes for you know how we're going to go after X y or z hitter but maybe just not having so much technology present in the middle of the game for the teams playing save that for the broadcast and for the fan experience I don't know if it's possible maybe it's a, a crazy thing to say but I feel like the technology that we have is so pervasive in the game now both in a good way and now a negative way that you got to address it at some point don't you Yeah,
1: I wouldn't be opposed to them saying that absolutely no live video feed anywhere that you could have access to from the dugout. So if you want to walk down the hallway, you know that you're going to be facing a pitcher in the eighth inning and you want to see some video on him. Fine. You can walk all the way to the back and and take a look at things there because then you may not have the time to do it immediately. Like you said, hey, you guys got to know you studied for your test. You got to know it's not open note. You've got to know what's coming. It's so hard these days to police all the different things because the Internet has made so much stuff faster and their ability to sit there with the laptop and in real time see the signs and hit a trash can before the guy even throws a pitch. Now, again, it's still tough because if you're the hitter, you still have to process, did I hear a bang from the trash can? And you don't have a lot of time to do that, but they were able to do it. And you look at their numbers from the year before in 2016 to when they won the World Series in 2017, their offensive numbers went up through the roof yep. when they think this stuff started. So it obviously helped. And, yeah, maybe guys weren't teeing off. But you know what? If you know a changeup is coming and you can foul a pitch or two off until you get something like a fastball that you can handle and it helps run up pitch counts and everything else, it is a huge advantage. So, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know how they could do it. I'm not sure what they could do to eliminate that stuff. But I'd be all for no video access at all in the dugout at any point during the game.
0: Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I know they've taken some steps to have it delayed in the clubhouse when players go back down there. But again, something's obviously not working, and technology is clearly allowing a team like the Astros to take complete and total advantage of what they're looking at and turning it into real-time results, and that simply can't be the case going forward for them or for any team.
1: All right, the Astros were breaking rules. Major League Baseball has set some new ones that I'm sure people are going to try to work their way around as well. Rule changes coming for 2020: three batter minimum for relief pitchers. This rule is meant to curtail all the endless walks from the dugout to the mound and bringing in guys for matchups. Do you like this change? Do you like the other rule changes, Grant? Where are you on all this?
0: Well, some of them, I think, make a little bit more sense than others. And in particular, I think everybody's focus, at least the folks I've been talking to, has been more on the three batter minimum for relievers, which clearly will have a couple of caveats going for how it works it's not going to require that a national league reliever come in get the last out of an inning and then hit for himself to lead off the next inning and then have to face two more batters i think it's more so to curtail in inning pitching changes so that you're not having yep you know, three or more pitchers i guess coming on to do the work in an inning multiple times during the game and i guess they feel like that'll save time now i've been conflicted on this from jump because i feel like you should be able to utilize your roster however you want to to make those changes if necessary so i'm not sure that that's really solving much and if it's only being done to save time i kind of look at it as a a zero-sum game i don't really feel like there's a lot to be gained there however i've come back and look at the fact that the game has evolved and changed so much just in our lifetime that the complete game is no longer really a factor when you start thinking about pitchers you don't look at your guy and say all right well so-and-so is going to go nine he's going to get us back on track no you just kind of figure out okay well If he can get us through six, then we'll do X, Y, and Z, and then we'll option this player to the minors, and we'll bring up this guy, and we'll put this guy on the injured list for 10 days. That's another thing they're looking at is a 15-day injured list in particular so that you can't uh, figure out what pitchers you can option in and out. There's a lot of different rules involved in that, I think, with how long players have to stay down in the minors after they've been optioned that they're also looking at. So, The pitching changes are frustrating from a traditionalist baseball standpoint. From a competitive standpoint, if it helps my team win on a given night, I'd be a little bit frustrated to have that taken away from me and force me into bad matchups. But I talked to Brian Snitker about this just this past week at the winter meetings, and he seemed to say you're going to have some bad matchups that you just can't get around anyway, so it'll kind of be some trial and error. But you see a team like the Braves go out and build a strong bullpen that's not built around – relievers that have really crazy splits against righties or lefty hitters just get the best relievers you can and go out there and hand them an inning and say all right well i guess the seventh inning is now yours that i feel like it might be kind of micromanaging the rules from the major league baseball standpoint a little bit more than i really thought would uh, come to pass in terms of passing an actual rule for minimum batters faced by a pitcher it's kind of unprecedented in a lot of ways
1: Yeah, I I don't like it. I I think it's ridiculous. And this whole idea that, oh, it's going to save time. And to me, I don't think that the real baseball fans out there are the ones that are complaining about how long a baseball game takes. It's easy for somebody who's just a sports fan, a casual sports fan to go, oh, I don't like baseball. It takes too long. When college football games take near four hours every single Saturday. I mean, certainly they have a clock that, that, ticks down. So, you know, technically when it's going to end, but those games will go close to four hours sometimes on a Saturday afternoon when I'm sitting down and it's a a noon kickoff. And all of a sudden at 345, they're just getting to the end of the game. So I don't want to hear about how fans won't sit and watch an entire baseball game if it's more than three hours long, because they do it for football. They do it for other things. I I don't like the rule, but I'm also one of don't like the idea that they're saying, oh, we need to start taking away some of the you know, defensive shifts that go on because it takes right. away from the game and everything. To me, you know what? If a team's going to defensive shift, hit into the hole that they left wide open. That's the simplest way to get teams to stop shifting is to hit the ball. Uh, you know, Casey Stengel, I think, said it, or Yogi Berra, whoever it was, hit it where they ain't. That's the whole idea. So to me, look, if they want to run out and use up their relievers in the seventh inning, have at it, because that means they may be in trouble if the game goes extras or you get into later innings and they don't they don't have an ability to make a move. So I'm not for that. I hate the idea of the pitch clock that they use down the minor leagues. I like the idea that they're going to add a 26th player. I think that helps. Yeah. And I wish they would leave the injured list at 10 days instead of 15. If people want to try to manipulate it, they're going to do it regardless. Um, I think 15 days for a guy who's going to be out for a week is, is punishing the team a little bit too much. But, yeah, to me, more than anything, the three batter minimum is a bit ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's wee Willie Keeler who hit him where they ain't. And that's okay, there you go. Hall yeah, of thank you. As well. So he made it all the way to Cooperstown by doing it. So I think to your point, if you hit him where they ain't, it can work out pretty well for you. And, of course, that's the object. But, I mean, you know, I think as well as I do, that the shifts are not really built around fly balls. They're built around just trying to improve your chances of anything hit on the ground by a player The spray charts are out there. You know what their tendencies are. You know where to put these guys, and teams have been doing this for a while. So I don't necessarily see it going away. I don't know that we need to micromanage the shift. I certainly don't think we need to micromanage the bullpen to this point, but uh, with the death of the complete game, I can understand not wanting your sport to go to commercial over and over and over again inside the same inning. That, to me, is also bad television, which is a product that Major League Baseball, of course, is uh, very well aware of because that's the one part of the product that seems to be paying the bills for just about everything, and that's television. So uh, maybe that is uh, where a lot of this is coming from.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I'm sure it has something to do with the TV networks and that you have to break every time you go to the bullpen and everything else. But I'd love to look and see how many times it actually happens that a team uses multiple relievers in the same inning and and how that affects game time and everything else. I'm sure major league baseball has probably done a study. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they just looked at it and said, ah, you know what the used thing to do is you got to throw the three hitters. You got to throw the three hitters. I'll take care of it. I, I don't know. It, it still doesn't make any sense to me because they're trying to, as you said, micromanage the game to appear to be something that we did not grow up with. and and, Maybe we're just being curmudgeons, Grant. I don't Maybe. know, but to me, it doesn't. It, it's not a move that I suddenly go, wow, this is going to make baseball a lot more exciting for me.
0: Yeah, I think we agree, both of us, on that. Uh, Hall of Fame was a part of the winter meetings as well. In fact, it got everything kicked off on Sunday night out in San Diego as the Modern Era Committee made their Hall of Fame ballot known, and Ted Simmons and Marvin Miller were voted into the Hall of Fame by the committee this week. We talked about it a lot last week. There were a lot of stars, especially uh, from that particular era, which I believe was the mid-60s to the mid-80s, was the focus of the players who were on the ballot, and Marvin Miller, whose impact on the game as the head of the Players Association. A great honor for two guys that have been close before finally getting the call. Uh, Miller, though, his family, I believe, is going to uphold his wishes to not be involved in the Cooperstown induction ceremony coming next summer, which on the surface level, I say, is a shame, but secondarily and well actually maybe primarily i can understand why the frustration about it because it took him uh, so long to get in that he passed a few years ago and i think he was over it quite a few years prior to that so uh, kind of a bittersweet moment for marvin miller but for ted simmons i think he's going to be very excited to take his place among baseball's immortals as he is honored in cooperstown come july
1: yeah, we both whiffed on who we thought was going to get in or thought we should have get in, but you know, you look back at it, Simmons was probably the best choice of the players to get in, overshadowed by guys uh, like Bench and Fisk and yep. Carter. But you look at his numbers, he compares favorably with all three of those guys who are all three in the Hall of Fame. Among players who played at least 50% of their games at catcher, Simmons is second in hits, second in doubles, second in runs batted in, fifth in runs. So, I mean, you can make a very good argument, and obviously they did, that Ted Simmons, along with his contemporaries and Bench, Fisk, and Carter, should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Marvin Miller, the modern-day baseball, and we talked about it at the very beginning of this, the modern-day baseball player owes him a ton of gratitude yep. because he's the reason that guys are getting nine years and $324 million to throw a baseball. He's the one that kind of broke through and got free agents Major League Baseball, and it has just exploded since it happened in the mid-'70s. He did a great job with that. Eddie, I'm with you. It's a shame that his family won't participate, but if he didn't want them to, then... It's good that they're honoring his wishes. It's just too bad that Major League Baseball was not angry with him, but I'm sure there were a lot of owners that did not like the fact that he broke their stranglehold on this. And let's face it, a lot of times the writers – were good friends and didn't want to go against the owners. So that's probably why he didn't get voted in while he was alive, but a nice honor for him and his family. And and as we've pointed out long overdue.
0: Yeah, definitely for both men. I think interesting for Simmons, he was a one and done on the baseball writers ballot and it took him quite a while to find his way into Cooperstown. But I think it's great when these guys do, even if they have to wait longer than you want Uh, that they're able to actually enjoy it and not to be a posthumous honor as was the case I believe with Ron Santo in particular that you just look back and you think why was this wait necessary why did this take so long and then they don't even get to enjoy it and while the fans do to a certain extent the longer and longer they wait the less and less fans obviously are around to appreciate it as well so I think baseball got it right this time I hate it for Marvin Miller and uh, his family that they're not going to be able to really take part in this and enjoy it in a way that Maybe if he'd gotten in 20 years ago, they would have actually been able to partake in it and appreciate the honor. But as you mentioned, I think there were a lot of politics, as they I think call it in the wrestling world, backstage politics that kept Marvin Miller from getting into Cooperstown. And that that really is a shame, ultimately. And I'm glad he finally got in to be recognized so that when people do go to the Hall of Fame, they can have an appreciation for uh, some of the evolution of the game that was extremely important, as you mentioned, to players being able to get a fairer cut and get rid of things like the reserve clause and a number of other things that Marvin Miller was at the forefront of. So uh, great work by him. It wasn't just Kurt Flood by himself in a courtroom all those years ago. There was a lot of people fighting for a very long time to try to get the players uh, a little bit more equal footing or an opportunity to leverage themselves a little bit better to make a very good living playing baseball. And I'm saying that using the air quotes because a lot of guys have made a very good living over the past three or four decades playing the game of baseball.
1: Yeah, no question. And again, for a lot of the younger listeners won't have any idea who Ted Simmons is they would do themselves a a great service by going back and looking. He was a phenom coming out, made his major league debut, I think, at 19. They switched hitting catcher, which you just don't see very often. You know, Had, I think, five of his first seven years, hit over 300 in an era when hitting over 300 actually meant something. So, yeah, Miller and Simmons both uh, definitely worthy candidates to go into the hall. It'll be interesting to see if any of these other guys that didn't get in, if they're back on the ballot next year, if a guy like Dale Murphy, a guy like Dwight Evans, or Your guy, Lou Whitaker, if any of these guys are are in next year. It's always a good debate, always fun to look at the numbers and see the impact that these guys had on, on baseball history.
0: Yeah, we'll see down the line if Murph's able to get in. I think that the focus for a lot of Braves fans, a lot of frustration. He got three or fewer votes when everything was revealed, and I don't want to spend too much longer going over the Hall of Fame ground that's been covered quite a bit over the past week, but I really hope that people are able to, and by people, I mean folks that have the ability to really look at Dale's case and understand how much he meant to the game both on and off the field that he's able to get an honor that i think that he very much deserves so uh, we'll see if murph lou whitaker or any of a number of other guys on this ballot are able to gain election over the coming years as the modern era committee will continue trying to i guess plead some of the cases for some guys who have fallen through the cracks in the hall of fame and there are more than a few of those in my opinion
1: yeah, no question. And it's always good when they are able to get, again, like a guy like Simmons and Miller who were overlooked. Uh, it's always good when they can rectify that. Hopefully that will also be the case down the road for guys like Dale Murphy and others who, who maybe fell off the bout a little bit too soon or really just weren't looked at the way we analyze things now with all the different metrics and everything to show that they were. Uh, one of the best players of their generation. And and to me, that's what the Hall of Fame is, is voting the guys in that maybe they weren't necessarily the all-time great. I mean, Dale Murphy isn't going to compare well with a Babe Ruth or a Ted Williams or guys like that, but he's going to compare quite well to the guys that he played with. And to me, that's what makes you a Hall of Famer. Did you dominate? Were you one of the best of your generation, because that's all you can compare it to. We don't know how it would have gone had he been back in the 30s and 40s and facing those guys. It's a different type of game. So if you dominate your error, to me, you're a Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah, I cannot disagree with that whatsoever. So that gets us to our starting nine for this week, a very, very hefty lineup. A lot of good things we got to this week. Appreciate you taking some time to join me and to chat about all of it. Uh, always
1: a pleasure, and uh, hopefully you've adjusted back to East Coast weather since you uh, are home from San Diego.
0: It is the worst. Hashtag the worst. <laughs> I was not happy to come back to drizzly, rainy conditions, but I guess them's the breaks. But I did enjoy San Diego quite a bit and look forward to getting back out there again uh, sometime in the not-too-distant future. But, Bill, I look forward to chatting with you about all these baseball topics again come next week on From the Diamond. Always a pleasure. All right, that'll do it for this week's show. As always, if you like what you heard on From the Diamond, I invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. I appreciate each and every one of those. And make sure you're following along with the show and with me on social media. You can find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore, and I am at Grant McCauley on Twitter. Also, make sure you're following Bill Rowland at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D also on instagram you can find the show at from the diamond no underscore on the end there and i am still at grant mccauley g-r-a-n-t-m-c-a-u-l-e-y and of course you can find everything else at from the diamond all of my winter meetings coverage including a blog where i discussed each and every one of the rumors and topics that came up throughout the week you can find those at fromthediamond.com Once again, thanks to Bill Rowland for jumping on and chopping up all these Major League Baseball topics with me, and thanks to you for once again tuning in to From the Diamond. That's all for this week, but we'll have much more Braves and MLB talk coming at you on next week's episode. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.